All right, would you stand with me this morning as we prepare to read from God's Word? Turn into the book of John, chapter 9. We're going to read the first 38 verses this morning as Pastor Bruce continues the series, What Jesus Came to Do for You. And this week, this message titled, Jesus Came to Make You See. Again, we're in the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. And others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's pray. God, how miraculous you are. God, that your power that can give sight to a blind man, Lord, has the power to change our lives, to bring dead people to life. God, open our hearts this morning that your word impacts us, Lord, that we want to proclaim like the blind man did, Lord, we can now see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to continue in our series that we began last Sunday, a series that we are our calling, as you see from your notes or the bulletin, insert that uh, what Jesus came to do for you. 
And what we're doing is we're basically looking at these close encounters that Jesus had with, with all kinds of various people, different kinds of people, men, women, uh, those from different backgrounds, it doesn't matter. And one thing we always learn, that when you have an encounter with Jesus, you never leave the same way. You never leave as the same person. And last Sunday, we saw this encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And the one thing we learned from that encounter is that Jesus came to tell us the truth, the wonderful truth about himself, but also the woeful truth about us. And this morning, as, as you saw from our scripture reading, we're going to take a look at this encounter that Jesus now has with this blind man. Not just any ordinary blind man, though a blind man from birth which stands out a little bit from all the other miracles that Jesus has performed in healing the blind. And it's from this encounter, what we're going to see is just that, that Jesus came to make us see. With that in mind, let me ask you a question, or let me pose it this way. Try to imagine, if you will, what it's like being blind. I don't think we can really, truly imagine that, although Jamie Foxx came close when he played the part of Ray Charles in the movie Ray. How many saw the movie? All right, some of you did. Jamie took his role seriously, and he wanted to be in character as much as possible. And so he actually met with Ray Charles. He talked with him. He studied Ray's piano playing. He even took classes at the Braille Institute. And after eating breakfast each morning, he would have prosthetics put in his eyes that would make him completely blind. He would film the entire day and night and then only remove them when he was going to bed. The reason he did this is because Jamie Foxx wanted to know what it was like to live in a world without being able to see. Jamie's performance was called the Tour de Force and... He won an Oscar for Best Actor that year, but as realistic as Jamie Foxx tried to make his performance, at the end of the filming, he left his eye prosthetics behind, and he enjoyed living as a sighted person. But, you know, can you imagine, just, you know, for a moment, can you imagine what it's like to be blind, not being able to see? But there's something much worse than physical blindness. And that's spiritual blindness, not knowing where your life is going. The spiritual blindness of not knowing whether you're right with God. The spiritual blindness of not knowing where you will spend eternity when you die. You see, spiritual blindness is much more tragic. And that's why Jesus came. It's one of the reasons why He came to this earth. is so that He could make us see the truth about himself and the truth about us. Now in John 9, as Kirk read for us, we're introduced to a man who was born blind. All of his life he couldn't see. And because of this, all of his life, he suffered from physical darkness. Until that day, Jesus walks into his life and helps him see, not only physically, as we're going to look at, but at the end of the story, helps him to see spiritually. This encounter between Jesus and the blind man, it it sheds light for you and I here this morning. And if you're here and you find that, I mean, you're living in darkness, and you don't really understand what's going on spiritually about you, listen, I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to make you see. Now, in order for this to be really real for us, in order for this message to be beneficial and in uh, relevant for us today, I want to ask you to do something. And that is to finish this sentence. It's the sentence that's in your notes. It's coming up on the screen. And that is, I'd love to be able to see, and you fill in the blank. I'd love to be able to see. What would you love to be able to see Jesus do in your life? You see, to benefit from this encounter with Jesus, you kind of got to put your yourself in the place of this blind man. Again, he was born blind. All his life he had been able to see, and because of this, all his life he had probably been a beggar. And I'm sure he must have thought at least once a day, if not more, what would it be like if I could only see? How would my life be different if only I could see? But I can't. 
And so, what would you love to see this morning? In a spiritual sense. Even in a personal sense. Maybe it's something you just can't see how it could possibly happen. Maybe it's something like, man, I'd love to see my marriage get better. But I just can't see that happening. Maybe it's, I'd love to see myself as a person of faith. But I just don't see how that's going to happen. Maybe it's, I'd love to see myself filled with joy and purpose and meaning in life, but I just don't see how that is a possibility. Or I'd love to see my life being used by God, but I don't see that as a possibility. Or I'd love to see me reconciling with my parents or my kids, but I don't see that ever happening either. Listen, what would you love to be able to see in your life? I want you to hold on to that answer as we dive into this encounter between Jesus and this blind man because this encounter sheds light on four lessons for you and I this morning. And the first lesson we see is we got to break through either or thinking. We need to break through either or thinking. Notice how John sets the stage again for this encounter in chapter 9, verse 1. Look at it with me one more time. Verse 1. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now you've got to understand in this day and age about the only thing a blind man could do to survive was to beg. To beg for food, to beg for money. And that's what this blind man was doing when Jesus passed by. And I love what it says about Jesus. He what? Saw this man. Man, that is just like our Lord. He is going about his business, but he takes mercy and pity on a blind man. He sees the need, and he has compassion on him. But the disciples saw this man as an opportunity to ask a question. Almost kind of as an opportunity to have this theological debate. And notice this in your notes. The disciples asked the question for the cause of the man's blindness. Their question was all about the cause of the man's blindness, And we see their question in verse 2 when they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the disciples, either or thinking, caused them to assume something. And the assumption was that either this man sinned or his parents sinned. And that's the only two options that they could see. Now, kind of got to understand the disciples' thinking here, after all. It was common Jewish belief in that day that the rabbis taught that there was no death without sin and there was no suffering without iniquity. And so the common Jewish belief was that any disability, any sickness that an individual had, it was the result of that person's sin. And since this man was born blind, there are only two options then as to why in the disciples' mind. Either he sinned in the womb of his mother or his parents sinned that caused him to be blind. This kind of thinking trapped the disciples. It trapped them into seeing the blind man's situation as totally helpless at this point. And that's what either thinking does for us. Either or thinking traps us. In fact, notice this in your notes, and it's coming up on the screen. The result of either or thinking is you feel trapped. And when you stay in this kind of thinking long enough, you not only feel trapped, but you begin to feel hopeless about the situation. And here's how either or thinking begins to show up in our lives. We sometimes think, hey, either I have to take this job that's going to take me away from my family, away from church, away from God, whatever the case may be, or I'm going to face bankruptcy. Or maybe either or thinking comes in like this, either I have to be lonely the rest of my life, or I have to compromise my convictions, I have to compromise what God says in order to be married. Or maybe it shows up this way. Either I have to file to divorce or I have to live in a miserable marriage. It's the only two options that are out there. This kind of either or thinking makes you feel trapped. You feel trapped that there's no way out. 
You feel trapped in a bad job. You feel trapped in a bad marriage or trapped in a bad life, whatever the case may be. And then, sooner or later, you begin to feel hopeless. There's no hope for it. There's no hope in the situation because we're trapped by our either or thinking just like the disciples were. They saw the blind man and said, there's only two options to it. And because of those two options, they saw him hopeless. There's nothing we can do for him. Let's just pass on by. Disciples were trapped, but Jesus, oh man, I love this. Jesus comes along and he gives them a third option. They had never thought of before in their lives. Notice that Jesus answers with a purpose for the man's blindness. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 3. Jesus comes back to the disciples and he answers them and says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And here's the purpose now. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, it's true that someone sinned. Make no mistake about it. It's true somebody sinned. But that, quote, someone was Adam, not the man or his parents. Now, I don't mean that this blind man never sinned. Jesus doesn't mean that the blind man never sinned. He doesn't mean that his parents never sinned as well. Jesus means that the, blind man's, the, blind, the man's blindness is not a judgment on any particular sin that they committed that caused his blindness. You have to understand the larger biblical perspective. All of God's word and what it talks about here, because it really all goes back to Adam in the book of Genesis, whose sin brought misery to the world and caused the whole creation to suffer under a burden of judgment that started in the Garden of Eden and continues today. Now, this discussion is a whole sermon in and of itself. And we don't have time to get into that. But suffice it to say, Jesus comes back and he says, Listen, disciples, I'm not here to have a theological discussion with you about the suffering of mankind. Sin is the root cause of it all. I'm here to show you a purpose that goes beyond man's sin. A purpose that is greater than humanity. Look at it. Jesus says, it's so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. This means that the man was born blind so that at the right moment, Jesus could intervene in his life and show his divine power by healing him. Understand, this blind man didn't have any idea what was about to happen. He had no idea he was about to receive his sight. And when he woke up that morning, he had no idea that his life was about to change forever. Listen to me, this is why. This is why we got to break out of our either-or thinking. So many times, our either-or thinking, it keeps us in this box, and we see no options except this or that, and both those options are terrible. We need to break out of this, and you see the reason right here. Because you never know. You never know when or how God will break into your life with transforming power, just as he did with this blind man. So instead of feeling trapped in either or thinking, look for what God can do in your life. Man, begin to see that job that you hate as an opportunity for ministry. Begin to see your struggling marriage as a place where God can heal. And if he doesn't, then as a place where God could strengthen you to stick it out. And show the world a different kind of love. Whatever the situation you may be in, listen, it can show what God can do. It can be a sign of God's power when he heals or if he chooses to heal. And if God doesn't choose to heal it, it can still be a sign of God's grace when we endure through it in the strength and power of God Almighty. God's third option here always includes the word change. God has the power to change everything. Only He can change the things that you and I cannot change. Now, sometimes, He changes our circumstances. And we like that, don't we? When God changes the circumstances. Because most of the time, that's what we pray for. Most of the time, that's what we want. God changed my circumstances. Because I'm basing my 
life, if you will, on my circumstances. And as long as my circumstances stink, then my life stinks. And when my circumstances get better, then my life will get better. And so that's how we come to God normally. And sometimes God will honor that request. Sometimes God does change circumstances. But folks, listen to me. More often than not, He changes us. He changes our heart. And so when you find yourself in an either-or trap, begin to pray and ask God to break into your life with His transforming power. Not so much to change what's going on around you, but to change you and to change your thinking and to change your heart. Which brings us to the second lesson we learn from this close encounter. Dare to trust God. Dare to trust God. Now again, you've got to put yourself in this blind man's shoes. Here was a man who never known light. Think about it for a moment. Darkness was all this beggar had ever known all his life. But you never know. You just never know when or how the Lord will break into your life with his transforming power. Notice how Jesus breaks into this blind man's life with a miracle in verses 6 and 7. It says, when he had said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Salvia. What is that word? Saliva, yeah. I I have it misspelled in my notes here. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And after he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Salaam which is translated sent, he went and washed and came back seen. Now you have to admit, this is a strange way to heal a blind man. In fact, it's somewhat comical. It's kind of funny in some ways. It's really strange. Jesus basically spits on the ground, and he makes mud pies. And he takes these mud pies, and he just puts them on the blind man's eyes. You might say he never saw it coming. I know, that was dry. That was dry. Some of you will get that. And then Jesus commands him to go and wash the mud off his eyes in the pool of Salaam. That's it. That's all we're told. It's rather strange. It's rather weird. Mud on the blind man's eyes and then a command to wash it off. That's the miracle. At least that's the method of the miracle. Now, I'll have to be honest with you. Most of us right now, we want to focus on the miracle, don't we? How did Jesus do this? Mud. He spits on the ground, makes mud, puts on the blind man's eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Salaam. And he comes back seeing. And that's what we tend to focus on. But what amazes me, if you really think about the story here with me for a moment, what amazes me about this verse is not so much the miracle as amazing as this miracle is. And believe me, it's amazing because this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus heals a blind man from birth. That's amazing. But what amazes me more than that is the blind man's willingness to trust Jesus and do what he said. Because I can think right now of several reasons why, if I was in the blind man's shoes, I would not have trusted Jesus. I would not have obeyed him. Can you think of a few reasons? Let me give you some examples. Like, I've been blind since birth, and listen, that ain't ever going to change. Or another reason, who does this man think he is putting mud pies in my eyes? I've never met you before in my life. Who do you think you are? Walk through the streets with mud on my eyes? Let people laugh at me? They're going to think I'm foolish. This is illogical. It doesn't make sense. This is ridiculous. Go and wash my eyes. Listen, I've done that a thousand times, and you're telling me now to go do it again? Or how about this one? What if I do all this, but it doesn't work? Now, that last one, this last question, is especially relevant because Jesus, by the way, did you catch it? He never promised to heal the the man's blindness. 
There's no promise in this story that Jesus was going to do this. He never told him up front. He never promised him up front he was going to heal him. And yet, you only discover Christ's transforming power when you dare to trust God. TV program preceding the 1988 Olympics, Winter Olympics, featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing. Impossible as that might sound. They were paired with sighted skiers, and the blind skiers were taught on the bunny slopes, you know, more of the flat slopes, how to make right and left turns. And when that was mastered, they were then taken to the slalom slope, where their sighted partner skied beside them, shouting, left, right, left, right. And as they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line, depending solely on the sighted skier's words. It was either complete trust or it was catastrophe for them. Now, listen, that in the same way is why most people never experience God's power in their life. Because we fail so often to simply trust God. We fail to trust him, and because we don't trust him, we don't do what he asks us to do in his word. And therefore, we never experience the power of God. What we do is we trust ourselves. We think we know more than God. We think we know more about our marriage, our jobs, and how life works. And so we trust our infinite, tiny little pea brains who think we know how life works best instead of trusting our Creator and how He's laid it out in His Word. And so we trust ourselves and we do what we think is best for me. And more often than not, what we experience is catastrophe, which then leads us down a road to where we blame God and then we wonder, why has God failed me? When all along, God hasn't failed anybody. We have failed God. We have failed to trust Him. We have failed to simply do what He's told us to do. Listen, you only discover Christ's transforming power when you dare enough to trust God. Did this blind man know for certain what would happen? No way. Jesus never told him what was going to happen. But he obeyed Jesus anyway, and he discovered Christ's transforming power in his life. True, this blind man, he doesn't have much to go on, but on the other hand, he doesn't have much to lose either. And so he went, and he washed, and he came home seeing, John tells us. I love that. Thus illustrating that it doesn't take great faith. It doesn't take total understanding in order to be transformed. All it takes is faith that believes the words of Jesus, even when you aren't sure of anything. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you're running through your mind, it's going right now. Well, how much faith does it take, Bruce? How much faith does it take? Because right now, I've got to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of faith. I don't have a whole lot of faith in anything right now. I'm cynical, I've been hurt, and I don't have a lot of faith even in God. So how much faith does it take? Listen, I love this. Look at it in your notes, it's coming up on the screen. All it takes is a little faith in Jesus. All it takes is a little faith in Jesus. Look at this. Faith is belief plus unbelief and then acting on the belief part. That's what this blind man did. He simply acted on the belief part and he received a miracle from the Lord. Listen, faith is not about your feelings. Faith is not about your emotions. It's not about positive circumstances. But let's be honest, as we've already said, we make way too many decisions based on our feelings. When we don't feel like having faith in God, and when our circumstances are all messed up around us, and that's why people who survive great trials, who survive suffering in life, Listen, they make a moment-by-moment moment choice to act on the belief 
that God is who he says he is, and God will do what he promised to do. Listen, you just got to dare to trust God. And all it takes is a little bit of faith. Dare to trust him, and then act on it. It's not that complicated. And if you dare to trust God, and you do what Jesus says, whoo, get ready. Get ready. Because not everyone's going to, well, see what you see. Which brings us to our third lesson from this close encounter. Number three, look past what others cannot see. Look past what others cannot see. But what a day. I mean, think about it. If you're this blind man, you, you have mud on your eyes, you go and you wash, and you come home seeing. I mean, what a day, right? What a miracle. I mean, this is awesome. This man is healed of his blindness. And when he goes back home, the people can't believe what they're seeing either. Reminds me of the story when Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. You guys like Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson? Yeah, any fans here? All right, Gregory fan. Good deal. All right. Anyway, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they went on a camping trip, believe it or not. And after a good meal and a bottle of wine, they lay down for the night and they went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes woke up and nudged his faithful friend, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. Watson replied, oh, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes asked, well, what does that tell you? Watson pondered for a minute, and then he said, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Horologically, I deduced at the time it's approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant in comparison. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why? What does it tell you, Holmes? Well, Holmes said, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. Listen to me, sometimes, sometimes we go through life and we are blind to what's going on in our midst. And we are even blind to what God wants to do in our lives. In a spiritual sense, we can be blind to what God is doing and what he wants to do. And this was the case when the healed man came back home. Listen, he could see for the first time in his life. But all the rest of the people were blind now. Look at the neighbors. There in your notes, the neighbors were blinded by skepticism. And we see their skepticism in verses 8 through 10. Look what it says. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat in bed? And some said, Oh, this is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? You see, instead of rejoicing that he can see, he's having to defend the fact that he's had this incredible miracle happen in his life, which just goes to show you that there will always be people around to tell you life change is impossible. There will always be those naysayers. There will always be those people to just drag you down when your faith begins to grow, they'll come alongside and they throw water onto your fire. Forgiveness from sin and freedom from guilt? Nah, nah, that's impossible. Reconciliation in your marriage? Man, you've got to be kidding me. That's impossible. Victory over temptation? Man, you've been struggling with that all your life. That's impossible. You're never going to gain victory. Listen, don't let the past and don't let people blind you to what God can do in your life. Listen, if God can heal a blind man from birth, don't you think he can bring healing into your life? Second, the Pharisees, they're blinded by unbelief. They're blinded by unbelief. Notice this in verses 13 and 15. It says, they brought him, that is the, the neighbors, the people, because they were so skeptical about it, the neighbors now bring them to the, to the Pharisees. And it says, now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. 
And then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, hey, he put clay on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. And the Pharisees now, they huddle together, and they begin to debate this thing. Hey, is this really true? Is this possible, impossible? In verses 16 through 18, therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs or miracles? And there was a division among them. In other words, they couldn't agree on it. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So what do the Pharisees do? Because they can't come to a consensus, they can't believe, this is impossible, how can this happen? So what do they do? Oh, you got it, they bring the man's parents in. And they begin to interrogate the blind man's parents. But the parents are blinded by fear. Notice their fear in verses 19 through 21. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that, he, that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Now, you know, the parents want to know part of this question. And they basically said, hey, listen, we don't have a clue. Ask him. He's old enough to testify in court. Now, I have to admit, when I first read this, I thought that was a little weird. In fact, my, my impression is, you know, why did the parents throw their son under the bus? They just kind of left the guy there in the, in the Pharisee's interrogation court. But we find out why. The next verse tells us why the parents leave and abandon their son. We find the answer in verse 22. It says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. In other words, the Pharisees. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So what do you think the Pharisees do? You got it. They question the blind man again. And this uneducated beggar completely turned the tables on his interrogators with his testimony. The Pharisees said to him in verse 24, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, what the Pharisees are saying by give God the glory is kind of the equivalent of our, you're taking an oath now. You've got to tell the truth. And they're saying, okay, we know that you're holding back on us. Go ahead. Tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's exactly what the blind man did. Notice his testimony. It's one of the greatest testimonies in all of the scriptures. He says, one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Woo! Man, that is so cool. That's an amazing testimony. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, what a great answer. The blind man, I mean, he doesn't cower. He doesn't stand back. He just comes up forward to him, and he just lets him have it. He just tells him his story, the story of what Jesus did in his life. Listen, you can argue about it. You can debate it all you want, but that doesn't change the fact. I was blind, but now I see which reminds us that the greatest testimony anyone can share about Jesus is a changed life. It's the greatest, most powerful testimony. It's the most impactful testimony. So let me ask you, what's your testimony? Do you have one? In what way has Jesus changed your life? Has Jesus changed your life? You know, for me, as most of you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid, which basically means I was saved from a life of drugs. I was drugged to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Some of you would get that. My parents drugged me to church. I didn't have a choice in that. I grew up all my life coming to church. All I ever know was my dad being a pastor. And yet there was still a time in my life, I remember, 
where my life was all about me, pleasing me, especially during my college years and afterwards. And there came a point when I surrendered my life to Christ and said, all right, Lord, it's your life, that I went from all about pleasing me to now pleasing God. And that's when God began to give me, instead of a life without meaning, to a life that had meaning. A life without purpose to a life with purpose. A life that's about selfishness to a life that's about serving others. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't do that perfectly. In fact, my wife has to remind me of that sometimes. You understand what I mean by that. But that's the change Jesus has brought into my life. What's, what's your testimony? The blind man said, hey, I was, I was blind but now I see. What about you? I was once bitter, but now I'm joyful. I was once without hope, but now I'm filled with hope. I was once hateful, but now I'm full of love. Listen, there's no better way to let people know about Jesus and to let people know that Jesus is real than to share the changes Jesus has made in your life. Now, before we move on, I want you to see something rather significant in this whole story here. Rather crucial and important. And that is, four times, four different times, the people asked the blind man this question. How were you healed? You read this story again, you'll see it. How were you healed? Man, how were you healed? How are you healed? How are you healed? Four times they asked him this question. But folks, here's the problem. They're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking how, oh, they should have been asking who. Who healed you? Who did this? Who performed this miracle in your life? Why? Because only Jesus has the power to change our lives. Now, don't miss this. Because the neighbors, the Pharisees, and the parents all focused on the how of the miracle. They all focused on how the physical miracle was done. Let me tell you, they missed the very one who could intervene in their life and bring a miracle to them. They completely missed it. And as we look at this encounter with the blind man. Listen, are you beginning to see yourself? Are you seeing yourself in this story? Because this story is a picture of our story. This is the same situation we find ourselves in before Jesus intervenes in our lives. Think about it. We are spiritually blind. And we're living in the darkness of our sins. And we're begging and we're hoping for something or someone to give us hope. Which brings us to our final lesson. Number four, believe in Jesus to save you. Believe in Jesus to save you. Now, this blind man came back seeing. Jesus healed him with a miracle. He has physical sight. But is that enough? Is that what Jesus cares about most? Mere physical healing. I submit to you that the answer to that question is no. Jesus cares more about this man's spiritual healing. This is the ultimate healing that we all need. And that's why I love the fact that it says in verse 35, Jesus, look at it, found him after the Pharisees had kicked him out of the synagogue. It was Jesus who found him begging outside the temple, and now Jesus finds him again, so he can give him spiritual sight. So what does it mean for Jesus to save you spiritually? Sometimes we hear that term, hey, Jesus saves. And that comes from a biblical word, salvation, that means just that, Jesus saves. But what does that mean? It means Jesus rescues us. It's the idea that Jesus restores us. Like a lifeguard saves a drowning person, Jesus saves us. He rescues us from the things that we've done in our lives that have brought heartache and pain. 
He rescues us from the sins that have separated us from God. And when we repent of our sin, when we accept His forgiveness, and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He restores us then to a right relationship with God in which we were created for. That's what Jesus wants to do for every one of us here this morning. What did Jesus come to do? Last Sunday we saw he came to tell us the truth. Today we're learning from this story, and it's in your notes, that Jesus came as the light of the world to give you spiritual sight so you may believe in him as your Savior and Lord for eternal life. So how do you believe? How do you do do this? I mean, practically speaking, how do you believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? How do, you, how do you trust Jesus to save you? Well, folks, let me summarize it this way. Three things need to happen in your life, and this isn't in your notes. But three things need to happen. First of all, you have to admit. You have to come to a place in your life where you admit, I am spiritually blind and repent of my sin. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come as the light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not invite in darkness. But we got to admit, listen, I'm living in darkness. My life is full of darkness because I'm a sinner and repent of that sinfulness. Second, you need to see Jesus for who he really is. It's interesting how the light slowly began to dawn in this man's life. First, he says that Jesus was a man way back in verse 11. And then later he realized, Jesus, hey, he's not just any man. He's a prophet in verse 17. But then the light really turned on when he comes face to face with Jesus and he recognizes Jesus is the Lord in verse 38. He's the Son of God. And so we first need to admit our spiritual blindness and repent of our sinfulness. Second, you need to see Jesus for who he really is. But third, you need to respond. Listen, it does no good to simply recognize I'm in the dark. And it does no good to see Jesus for who he really is if we don't respond to it. We have to respond to Jesus now as our Savior and Lord. You need to express your belief in Jesus by trusting him for your forgiveness of sin and for eternal life. And I love what the result of that is. Because when we express trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the result of our belief is you will worship him as your Lord by living for him. This is exactly what happens to this blind man. Look at it, what it says in verses 35 and 38. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he what? Worshipped him. Worshipped him. How many of you remember the whiteout last February along Interstate 70 that caused a 40-car pileup? There's going to be a couple pictures that will come up to show you. This whiteout was caused by a sudden snowstorm on Sunday afternoon along I-70 in Kansas near Bonner Springs. And as you can see from the pictures, more than 40 cars slammed into and on top of one another. In fact, the westbound lanes on I-70 were closed for six hours as emergency personnel worked to clear the wreckage from this 40-car pileup. The problem was no one was able to see. And so the motorists, what did they do? They blindly drove in to a disaster. Folks, listen to me. Spiritually speaking, that's the same road we're driving on. And unless someone intervenes into your life, Unless someone opens your eyes, you're going to blindly drive your soul into the eternal destruction of a place called hell. But thankfully, 
Listen to me. God loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus as the light of the world to break into our spiritual darkness and to give you spiritual sight so that you may believe on Him as your Savior and Lord. You see, the message is here for those who can see it. It is only Jesus who can turn on the light spiritually in your heart. And if He does, and when He does in your life, listen, respond to Him. Respond. Respond. With your heads bowed. And as we come to a time of invitation, a time to respond, let me ask you a simple question. Do you see Jesus this morning? I don't mean do you see Him visibly right here in our auditorium, but do you see Him spiritually? If you do, then respond to Him. Listen to what it says in John three thirty six: He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And perhaps you're here this morning, and man, God is beginning to open up your heart, open up your spiritual eyes to your condition as a sinner and your need for a Savior. And he's beginning to pull at your heart, and he's drawing you to himself. Listen, if that's, if that's you, and you, you want to believe in Jesus to save you, let me encourage you to pray something like this. You can just follow after me, silently write in your, within your heart, Dear Jesus, I see today more clearly than I've ever before my need to trust you as my Savior and Lord. I need your forgiveness and I need your guidance. I want a relationship with you and I ask you to forgive me and to save me. I ask you to receive me, rescue me from the sins that I struggle with. And I ask you to restore to me a right relationship with you that brings joy and direction to my life. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Zach's going to sing a verse here. and Perhaps you're a believer here already this morning, but man, you have, you have struggled in your spiritual walk. And you now find yourself in darkness because of sin or because of how you're living your life. Listen, the same applies. Respond to Jesus. Ask for His forgiveness as a child of God, as a son or a daughter. And let Him clean and make you righteous all over again. As Zach sings, this is the opportunity. Do, do business with God. Respond to Him this morning. Take my heart I lay it down at the feet of you whose crown. Take my life, I'm letting go.